0: Ninth
1: Story Studios Giving Story a voice This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one The darkness awaits
0: Do you like me and my lift? Please tell me by writing a short review of the show in iTunes and leaving me some gold stars it helps others to find their way here too I like gold stars can I have lots pretty please leave me stars and reviews at itunes.victoriaslift.com
2: Hello, this is Daniel Foytek, and welcome to Season 3, Episode number 3 of The Lift. Before we get to the story, as always, a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Your support helps keep the show coming. Without your support, we really couldn't afford to keep making the show. A lot of time and money goes into making The Lift, and we rely on our Patreon supporters to make the show a sustainable thing. Your support allows us to continue to collaborate with others and keep making the show you love. Plus, once we hit certain goals... We can cover all our costs and afford to make more than one episode per month. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's lift. Victoria does need your help to keep her lift running. A big thank you goes out to all of you who took the time to rate the show five stars and write a nice review on Apple podcasts. Those reviews help others find the show. And of course, we love knowing what makes the show special to you. Today, we have a story by a very talented author making her debut here on the lift meg Haftall. if you enjoy the twilight zone high strangeness vibe of our show and today's episode you'll love meg's new collection of tales set in her world of willoughby it's entitled twisted reveries 2 as you might guess that means there is a prior twisted reveries and two stories from that collection appeared on our sister show the wicked library i encourage you to check those out and of course pick up the collections You can get your copies at Amazon.com in Kindle or paperback. And we do have a big announcement today. After just over two seasons of creating the lift and exploring Victoria's world, Ninth Story Publishing is going to be publishing our first anthology of all new lift stories. That means never heard before. This is a written collection of tales from some of your favorite authors from the show and in addition to the stories, we'll have some illustrations to accompany each story, excerpts from the Journal of William Earl Bigglesworth Hayes, who you might remember as Victoria's father, complete with schematics of the music box, the lift, and more. It's going to be packed with a lot of other extras and some really great stories. The authors are hard at work, and our goal is to have all the stories written and compiled in time for a November release. So put it on your Christmas list. The first ever Lyft Anthology, all new stories never heard before. Now, if that's not enough to get you excited, coming soon, we'll have a very special episode of The Lyft that will cross over with our new show set in the world of the Wicked Library, The Private Collector. So, without further ado, we'll go ahead and move on to today's episode of The Lyft. Today's episode features a custom score by our good friend Nico of We Talk of Dreams, and joining Amber and Cindy in telling today's story, We have a special appearance by the Big Bad Bonnie, who first appeared in Season 1, Episode 1. As with last time, she does a bit of singing for us. She does voice work, she sings, she does artwork, she does it all. Check out more of her work on YouTube. You can find a link in the show notes. So, we'll let Meg say hello, and then we'll let Victoria take us for a ride.
1: Hi, this is Meg Hofdahl, and I'm the author of today's story, If Wishes Were Horses. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at meghoffdahl.com. And find more episodes of The Lift at victoriaslift.com. Let's go for a ride.
0: Right. My name is Victoria. I have lost so much. I am bound to this place, charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate or change it? I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. (laughs) <laughs> do afraid.
1: I pulled the afghan over my face, comforted by its familiar scent. My chest tingled with relief. She was almost gone. Lizzie, you're actually trying to hide... My little sister, Jessie, hovered by the front door. I listened as she slipped on her shoes, the heels scratching into the floor of our decaying farmhouse. Well, it's a shitty hiding spot, since you're always there. I sunk further down into the corduroy couch cushions, hoping she'd leave already. This is your last chance. Jessie huffed. I couldn't see her through the orange fabric. But I could imagine her hands planted on her hips. I could see her mouth screwed up in my mind's eye. How her whole face would become an ugly knot. When she was sick of me. When she was disappointed. Just come on. I told Sean you're coming and he said if you do... Well, he said you could talk to the stage manager. They're looking for backstage help. You could work your way up and... I'm not going... I sucked in some stale, blanket air, preparing more words if they were needed. Jessie sighed. Fine. Her car keys jangled and the front screen door whined as she pulled it open. More heady, intoxicating relief washed over me. Jessie left with a slam. I waited, the fuzzy blanket tickling my lips until her Toyota Corolla rolled out of our gravel drive and headed down the curvy road toward town. Satisfied, I sat up, letting Granny's afghan slide down my chest. The silence embraced me. I relished in my freedom, grateful to be home with my iPad and the Chinese Dragon delivery menu both beside me. I shuddered at the alternative, if I had listened to Jessie, I would be heading toward Chester's Bolorama, dreading every moment of the evening to come. I would have to squeeze into a booth with all her theater friends. I would have to listen to their pointless stories, nodding along as though I cared, as though I wanted to be there. I hit play on the remote, returning to the movie Poltergeist, which Jessie had rudely interrupted. It was early on, before the ghosts even start to show up. I've seen it 20 times, maybe 30. My thoughts turned to greasy boxes full of cashew chicken and egg foo young. I leaned forward, searching through crumpled paper towel for my cell on the coffee table. Shit! I knocked over a bag of chili cheese Fritos. I blinked at the mess of corn curls on the rug wishing we had a dog to eat the mess. Oh well. Jessie would vacuum it up in the morning, probably with her face all distorted in that twist of anger. Just as my fingers curled around my phone, a knock sounded on the front door. Had I already called Chinese Dragon? Maybe. It had become a rote, everyday action, so I could have forgotten. My tummy rumbled at the prospect. I stood, covering my unwashed, stringy hair with the hood of my sweatshirt. An unexpected fear bubbled in the base of my belly as I crossed the small living room. Internal alarms rattled. The old door squealed on its hinges. I glanced through the screen at the empty porch. Moths danced around the single light. Hello? I squinted at the night. A crescent moon illuminated the Jansen's cornfield across the road. No car was in my drive, or sign of a human. And certainly no enticing scent of fried rice. For fuck's sake. I tried to ignore my thumping heart. (laughs) A childish giggle floated on a whip of a breeze across our unkempt lawn. It wasn't right. It was somehow... Both hollow and delighted. My tongue became a dry, useless lump. I held onto the screen's handle, hoping the laugh had somehow come from the TV. I knew better. Hello? I coughed. My body moved before my brain could process what I was doing. I walked out onto the wood slatted porch, surprised by the cool bite of the wind. There was another <laughs> eruption of giggles. My skin crawled. An odd compulsion to discover the source pulled at my consciousness. I hurried down the porch steps, surveying the empty road. A figure appeared through the shadows. It was a little girl. For a terrifying moment, I thought it was the same little blonde Carol Ann from Poltergeist. But that would be impossible. This girl was a bit older, with golden curls and a striking purple dress, a dress that looked as though it had been plucked from the theater's costume closet. She held a jump rope in her tiny fists as she stood in the middle of Forsyth Road.
0: One, two, buckle my shoe.
1: She jumped over the rope. Three,
0: four, shut the door.
1: Another jump.
0: Five, six, pick up sticks.
1: The girl smiled as she played with her jump rope.
0: Seven, eight, lay them straight. Nine, ten, do it all
1: again. I stared, unbelieving. My bare feet were numb in the dewy grass. You... You should get out of the road. Should I? The blonde girl wrapped the rope around one of her velvet sleeves.
0: Is it dangerous to be out here?
1: I nodded dumbly. Surely the girl's mother or someone would emerge from the darkness and lead her home... The shards of moonlight across the girl's face disappeared. I could make out only the outline of her form, and the glint in her deep, jewel eyes. I glanced up, expecting to see dark clouds obscuring the moon. My entire body quaked. A schism between reality and possibility fractured my mind. An enormous building had overtaken the Jansen's cornfield, Instead of symmetrical strips of stalks, there were rows of ornately edged windows. It was the sort of old-fashioned architecture I'd seen in downtown Des Moines. Not here in our forgettable little town. How? All coherent thought abandoned me. I tripped forward, surveying the impossible building. My mouth gaped open at its brilliance.
0: I knew I had to bring it to you, Lizzie.
1: The girl crouched, Picking up an errant corn cob that had rolled onto the concrete road.
0: It would be the only way.
1: She stood, picking at the husk. A ridiculous thought came to me. I almost told her to leave it alone. Mr. Jansen would lose his shit over a child touching his crops. I let out an awkward, high pitched laugh. Mr. Jansen was going to have an absolute coronary over a building smooshing his field.
0: My name is Victoria.
1: The girl sniffed at the corn in her hand and then tossed it playfully at the curb. Do
0: you want to come inside with me?
1: Nope. I noticed the jump rope coiled around her arm had disappeared. My blood prickled with an icy terror. Victoria laughed.
0: (laughs) I thought you might say that.
1: I peeked at my house over my shoulder. The porch light flickered, beckoning me home. Back to my couch, my Afghan, my movie. Yet a mysterious internal force led me away. I was following Victoria across the street and into the building that could not exist. The place had clearly once been beautiful. I frowned at the darkened chandelier above us and at the moldy curling wallpaper.
0: Hop on, no time to waste.
1: Victoria stood by the open doors of an ancient lift. I wiped my sweaty palms on my sweatpants. It looks rickety. My voice echoed in the abandoned building. I hated the cold, alien sound of it. God, I wanted to be home.
0: Oh, I assure you, it has passed all rigorous safety inspections. You come along, Lizzie.
1: Panic prickled my skin. I wavered swaying back and forth, hoping to be saved by someone, anyone, even Jessie. I would contend with her sharp words and her scrunched cheeks just to get back home, just to feel my pillow and the reassuring buttons of the remote, just to bury my feet into the couch cushions and stay, stay. Up we go, Victoria said. My hesitance was clearly annoying her. A maturity was in the jut of her jaw that was wholly incongruent with her porcelain baby doll skin. I finally obeyed, stepping onto the lift.
0: Three, four, shut the door.
1: She let out another (laughs) unnerving titter. The door, much like me, seemed to follow her command. It shut, trapping us in the narrow lift. I took in a deep, shaking breath. Victoria placed her delicate hand on a lever and pushed it to the number nine. We lurched upward.
0: I like rhymes. Nursery rhymes. Do you, Lizzie?
1: I I guess.
0: If wishes were horses, beggars would ride. If junips were watches, I'd wear one by my side.
1: Victoria beamed at me. I hugged my elbows, trying to not look at her strange, time-worn smile.
0: Have you heard that one before?
1: Uh uh The lift clanged as we reached the ninth floor. I pressed my bare heels into the ground, hoping I would wake from this torturous dream soon.
0: You have wishes, don't you? I know you do.
1: Inexplicably, Victoria had found a music box in the empty lift, the beautiful antique piece she clutched to her chest.
0: We all do.
1: The box glowed with pulsating eerie light. Slowly, the lift door screeched open. I stumbled out first. The smell, instantly familiar, wafted into my nostrils. It was home. It was stale food, dusty furniture, and Jussie's cheap perfume. My eyes adjusted to the dimness. The ninth floor was my home. My couch sat empty and waiting. The afghan had been tossed aside just as I'd left it, lying in the pile of fallen Fritos. Oh, the odd little girl had brought me home after all. In a few strides, I was in my domain. Even Poltergeist was playing, and I'd barely missed any of it.
0: Home again, home again, jiggity-jig.
1: Victoria recited as she walked into my living room behind me. I ran my finger along the coffee table, making certain this was not an illusion. Thank you. I nearly cried from the relief.
0: This is your most favorite place in the world.
1: I nodded absently, still taking in every familiar corner and divot of my house. I wanted to sit, call Chinese Dragon, and watch my movie. But Victoria stood beside me. She made me self conscious. I tugged at the corners of my hood. You can go now, to your home or wherever. Victoria laughed again, <laughs> filling the room with its bizarre echoing inflection. How? She gestured to where we had come off the lift. Instead of my front door, there was a blank cement wall. I frowned, twisting around to look at the doorway into my kitchen it too had been cemented over. My surge of relief fizzled into panic. I swallowed a rising acid. What's happened? What did you do to my house? I swung toward the tiny girl. She stared at me with innocent saucer eyes.
0: I haven't done it, Lizzie. You have.
1: No. I ran toward the cemented kitchen doorway, knocking over a side table full of half-empty cereal bowls. Spoons clanged on the hardwood as I squelched through the mushy Fruit Loops. Hey! I pounded on the cement with my fists. We're stuck in here! Hey! I picked up my right leg to start kicking, but a weight pulled my foot down. The sensation caused a violent thudding in my chest. Victoria giggled as I looked at my <laughs> ankle. It was adorned with a block of black plastic. A red light blinked at me, mocking me with its rhythmic pulse. No! They they took it off! I don't have it anymore. It's been months. A year even. Are you certain it's been removed? I felt my butt in the mess of spilled milk as I clawed at the ankle monitor. Just feeling the itchy, tight band around my skin made me shake with bad memories.
0: Are you quite sure you don't still have it on?
1: Shut up! I tried feebly to twist it off with my hands, but of course it was much too strong. How many times had I fantasized using a knife on it, an axe, a chainsaw, of damaging it so I could go to the theater, so I could get back to my sad little life? And finally, my parole officer had snipped it off with some special tool. He had set me free. Hot, unexpected tears flowed down my cheeks. I hated that black box. Why was it back on me? Oh, look! Victoria carefully navigated over the mess, still hugging her music box.
0: You can pass through.
1: I glanced back at where the cement had prevented me from going into my kitchen. The doorway was now open, no trace of the impediment. Yet it led to a long, darkened corridor. Standing on wobbly legs, I stared at the abyss. I don't understand. Snot trickled onto my top lip. Victoria took in a deep, thoughtful sigh.
0: You want to get out, don't you?
1: I looked back at my couch, desperate for its embrace.
0: That's the only way, Lizzie.
1: Terrified, I stepped into the shadowy hallway. Victoria's hypnotic voice had compelled me forward. In an instant, I regretted my choice. I swiveled around, shocked to no longer see the warmth of my living room, nor the little girl. There was only the corridor on both sides of me, stretching out into oblivion. As I walked aimlessly through the dim hall, Victoria somehow spoke to me through the walls, or perhaps inside my brain.
0: Knock at the door, pull the bell, lift the latch, walk in all's well.
1: I blinked at the many doors. There were small, antique ones with rusted hinges, modern, etched glass ones, even a set of double doors with gigantic golden knobs. I didn't know which one to choose. Which was the right one? A light twinkled. As I walked further down the narrowing hall, it was a marquee lined in bulbs, like the kind outside the Chester Cinema. It read, Movie, starring Lizzie. Intrigued, I pushed through a soft velvet-lined door beneath the sign. The seating area of the theatre was small, but the screen was enormous, stretching up into an endless ceiling. You like
0: movies! All kinds! You watch them all day, don't you?
1: I ignored Victoria, sitting down in the front middle seat. The rough edges of a film came into focus. I leaned back, keenly aware of my ankle monitor tickling my skin. The movie looked as though it was filmed on an old Super 8. The audio crackled. It was our local theater. I recognized the yellowing of the archaic tin ceiling and the loose green threads on the second seat of the fourth row. The camera chugged up through the main aisle as though on a dolly. It halted at the apron of the stage, angling up to reveal first the polished tap shoes and then the eyelet lace dress of a small girl. Unlike Victoria, this girl had plump rosy cheeks and straight cocoa hair. My God! My mind exploded with both fascination and pain. The girl me sang. When you wake, you
0: shall have all the pretty little horses.
1: I watched my younger self flit about the stage, my happiness unrecognizable. The audience cheered off camera, and I remembered... How proud Granny was in the front row. Jessie, so tiny, clapping as she sat on Granny's lap. Fireworks detonated in my chest. I had loved being on stage, starting at that very moment. Suddenly, the movie altered its setting. Now the camera panned through a cornfield. Orange beams of dusk made for beautiful cinematography. A car zipped down Forsyth Road, much too fast. It skidded off the gravel edge and smashed into a telephone pole. Smoke spewed from its front, crumpled bumper. No! A pounding dread overwhelmed me. I jumped from the theater seat, covering my dry mouth with my palm. I watched in horror as the passenger door popped open. Jessie, a few years younger than she is now, fell out onto the road. Fresh blood dribbled down a cut in her forehead. No! Turn it off! Victoria, somewhere, spoke.
0: It's not over yet.
1: I paced, covering my ears. I couldn't listen to Jessie's cries. I couldn't watch myself. Yet there I was on the screen, wide-eyed and pale, holding my injured chest that had slammed into the steering wheel. And there was... oh. There was Granny. It was torture to see her as she attempted to get out of the back seat. Finally, on two feet, she swayed to the side, frantically clutching at the trunk of my car. Granny! Jessie screamed. I stood in the dark theater, letting my hands fall to my sides and observed the horror unfold in the demented movie. I watched myself and Jessie try to catch Granny before she fell, face first. The three of us became a tangle of limbs. You fucking moron! Young Jessie shoved me. You're high, aren't you? I hadn't remembered her saying that. The camera shifted, showing us from above. Please, turn it off. Victoria, please! I ran to the double doors, feeling around for the handles. Please? Finally, I found the latch and pushed through, out into the endless corridor of the ninth floor. More warm, salty tears rained down my cheeks. I rested my head against the wall, my breath hitching between sobs. Granny. Victoria appeared in the hall. Her presence made me cry even harder.
0: You're afraid you killed her. I did. No.
1: She shook her head.
0: No, no, no. That's your favorite word, isn't it? No, I won't go. No, I won't talk to them. No, I don't want to act ever again.
1: I shrugged, wiping at my wet face with the sleeve of my sweatshirt. When I squeezed my eyes shut, I could see only Granny, three months after the accident, falling to a heap in the front lawn, a heart attack.
0: It wasn't your fault, Lizzie,
1: Victoria assured me, as though she were inside my mind, peeling back my memories. And I think, perhaps, she really was. Not her death. My tingling legs gave out. I slumped to the floor, grateful to be hidden behind my curtain of hair. I didn't want Victoria to see my swollen face. She stepped closer. A vivid recollection of Granny's disappointment, of my pills, and of the monitor wrapped around my ankle made me curl into a ball. I wanted home. My couch. My food. My movie on the TV. Are
0: you going to escape? Are you going to choose to get out? To dream? To wish?
1: Victoria bent over me. I opened my eye just enough to see she was no longer holding her strange music box. She held an axe. Panicked, I sat up and crab-walked a few paces away. I tried to read her face, to understand why she held the tool against her small shoulder. She smiled brightly, her teeth nearly glowing in the dank, shadowy hallway. There you are. Victoria placed the axe down on the hardwood floor between us. She then pulled a handsaw from behind her back as well as a pair of gleaming pointy scissors from the front pocket of her costume-like dress. She placed them on top of the axe.
0: Your choice.
1: I goggled at the arsenal. My heart thudded against my ribs, like a bird ensnared in a cage. The pressure around my ankle grew tighter. When I pulled my knee to my chest, I was shocked there was no longer a black plastic box. It was a slug, or a leech. Its veiny, pea-green skin undulated as it constricted itself around my ankle. "'Shit!' I screamed, reaching toward the creature. My hands shook at the prospect of touching its slimy body. To my right, the warm, familiar glow of my living room called. "'Crap! Oh, shit! Oh, God!' I poked the thing. Its needled teeth were embedded into my skin. I could feel it drinking my blood— making me weaker, making me want to snuggle under Granny's afghan. Frantically, I jumped up on my good leg and hopped over to what Victoria had left for me. The blades twinkled in the light of Granny's Tiffany knockoff lamp. The smell of waiting Chinese dragon and the din of poltergeist beckoned. No. No. I grabbed the axe's wooden handle. Without hesitating, I brought the weapon back and swung. It hit the leech, bisecting its putrid body. Green, stringy innards flew onto my face. I smiled, watching its long fangs slip out of my ankle as it writhed beneath me. I tripped backward, nearly falling, but steadied myself. The axe fell to the floor. The hallway evaporated, and so did my living room. I had escaped.